Chapter 42 of Varney the Vampire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roger Moline. Varney the Vampire, Volume 1, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 42 The Open Graves. THE DEAD BODIES, A SCENE OF TERROR We have said Waggles spoilt everything, and so he did, for before Mr. Lee could utter a word more, or advance a few steps towards the rioters, Waggles charged them, staff in hand, and there soon ensued a riot of a most formidable description. A kind of desperation seemed to have seized the beetle, and certainly, by his sudden and unexpected attack, he achieved wonders. When, however, a dozen hands got hold of the staff, and it was wrenched from him, and he was knocked down, and half a dozen people rolled over him, Waggles was not near the man he had been, and he would have been very well content to have lain quiet where he was. This, however, he was not permitted to do for two or three, who had felt what a weighty instrument of warfare a parochial staff was, lifted him bodily from the ground, and canted him over the wall, without much regard to whether he fell in a hard or a soft place on the other side. This feat accomplished, no further attention was paid to Mr. Lee, who, finding that his exhortations were quite unheeded, retired into the church with an appearance of deep affliction about him, and locked himself in the vestry. The crowd now had entire possession, without even the sort of control that an exhortation assumed over them, of the burying ground. And soon, in a dense mass, were these desperate and excited people collected round the well-known spot where lay the mortal remains of Miles, the butcher. "'Silence!' cried a loud voice, and everyone obeyed the mandate, looking towards the speaker, who was a tall, gaunt-looking man, attired in a suit of faded black, and who now pressed forward to the front of the throng. "'Oh!' cried one. "'It's Fletcher, the ranter. What does he do here?' "'Hear him! Hear him!' cried others. "'He won't stop us!' "'Yes, hear him!' cried the tall man, waving his arms about like the sails of a windmill. Yes, hear him. Sons of darkness, you're all vampires, and are continually sucking the lifeblood from each other. No wonder that the evil one has power over you all. You're as men who walk in the darkness when the sunlight invites you, and you listen often to the words of humanity when those of a diviner origin are offered to your acceptance. But there shall be miracles in the land, and even in this place, set apart with a pretended piety that is in itself most damnable, you shall find an evidence of the true light, and the proof that those who will follow me the true path to glory shall be found here within this grave. Dig up, Miles the Butcher! Here, 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 hurrah, said everybody. Mr. Fletcher's not such a fool after all. He means well. Yes, you sinners, said the ranter, and if you find Miles the butcher decaying, even as men are expected to decay whose mortal tabernacles are placed within the bowels of the earth, you shall gather from that a great omen and a sign that if you follow me you seek the Lord. 
but if you find him looking fresh and healthy, as if the warm blood was still within his veins, you shall take that likewise as a signification that what I say to you shall be as the gospel, and that by coming to the chapel of the little Boozleham, you shall achieve great salvation. Very good, said a brawny fellow, advancing with a spade in his hand. You get out of the way, and I'll soon have him up. Here goes like blue blazes. The first shovelful of earth he took up he cast over his head into the air so that it fell in a shower among the mob, which of course raised a shout of indignation, and, as he continued to so dispose of the superfluous earth, a general row seemed likely to ensue. Mr. Fletcher opened his mouth to make a remark, and as that feature of his face was rather a capacious one, a descending lump of mold of a clayey consistency fell into it, and got so wedged among his teeth that in the process of extracting it, he nearly brought some of those essential portions of his anatomy with it. This was a state of things that could not last long, and he who has been so liberal with his spades full of mold was speedily disarmed, and yet he was a popular favorite, and had done the thing so good-humoredly that nobody touched him. Six or eight others, who had brought spades and pickaxes, now pushed forward to the work, and in an incredibly short space of time the grave of Miles the Butcher seemed to be very nearly excavated. Work of any kind or nature whatever is speedily executed when done with a wish to get through it, and never, perhaps within the memory of man, was a grave opened in that churchyard with such a wonderful celerity. The excitement of the crowd grew intense. Every available spot from which a view of the grave could be got was occupied. For the last few minutes scarcely a remark had been uttered, and when, at last, the spade of one of those who was digging struck upon something that sounded like wood, you might have heard a pin drop, and each one there present drew his breath more shortly than before. "'There he is,' said the man whose spade struck upon the coffin." Those few words broke the spell, and there was a general murmur, while every individual present seemed to shift his position in his anxiety to obtain a better view of what was about to ensue. The coffin, now having been once found, there seemed to be an increased impetus given to the work. The earth was thrown out with a rapidity that seemed almost the quick result of the working of some machine, and those closest to the grave's brink crouched down and, intent as they were upon the progress of events, heeded not the damp earth that fell upon them, nor the frail, brittle, and humid remains of humanity that occasionally rolled to their feet. It was, indeed, a scene of intense excitement, a scene which only wanted a few prominent features in its foreground of a more intellectual and higher caste than composed the mob, to make it a fit theme for a painter of the highest talent. And now the last few shovelfuls of earth that hid the top of the coffin were cast from the grave, and that narrow house which contained the mortal remains of him who was so well known while in life to almost every one then present was brought to the gaze of eyes which never had seemed likely to have looked upon him again. The cry was now for ropes with which to raise the cumbrous mass, but these were not to be had. No one thought of providing himself with such appliances so that by main strength only could the coffin be raised to the brink. The difficulty of doing this was immense, 
for there was nothing tangible to stand upon, and even when the mold from the sides was sufficiently cleared away that the handles of the coffin could be laid hold of, they came away immediately in the grasp of those who did so. But the more trouble that presented itself to the accomplishment of the designs of the mob, the more intent that body seemed upon carrying out to the full extent their original designs. Finding it quite impossible by bodily strength to raise the coffin of the butcher from the position in which it had got embedded by excessive rains, a boy was hastily dispatched to the village for ropes, and never did boy run with such speed before, for all his own curiosity was excited in the issue of an adventure that to his young imagination was appallingly interesting. As impatient as mobs usually are, they had not time in this case for the exercise of that quality of mind before the boy came back with the necessary means of exerting quite a different species of power against the butcher's coffin. Strong ropes were slid under the inert mass, and twenty hands at once plied the task of raising that receptacle of the dead from what had been presumed to be its last resting place. The ropes strained and creaked, and many thought that they would burst asunder sooner than raise the coffin of the defunct butcher. It is singular what reasons people find for backing their opinion. "'You may depend he's a vampire,' said one, "'or it wouldn't be so difficult to get him out of the grave.' "'Oh, there can be no mistake about that,' said one. "'When did a natural Christian's coffin stick in the mud in that way?' "'Ah, to be sure,' said another. "'I knew no good would come of his goings-on. "'He never was a decent sort of man like his neighbors, "'and many queer things have been said of him "'that I have no doubt are true enough, "'if we did but know the rights of them.' "'Ah, but,' said a young lad, "'thrusting his head between the two who were talking, "'if he is a vampire, "'how does he get out of his coffin "'of a night with all that weight of mold atop of him?' One of the men considered for a moment, and then, finding no rational answer occur to him, he gave the boy a box on the ear, saying, I should like to know what business that is of yours. Boys, nowadays, ain't like the boys in my time. They think nothing now of putting their spoke in grown-up people's wheels, just as if their opinions were of any consequence. Now, by a vigorous effort, those who were tugging at the rope succeeded in moving the coffin a little, and that first step was all the difficulty, for it was loosened from that adhesive soil in which it lay, and now came up with considerable facility. There was a half-shout of satisfaction at this result, while some of the congregation turned pale, and trembled at the prospect of the sight which was about to present itself. The coffin was dragged from the grave's brink fairly among the long, rank grass that flourished in the churchyard, and then they all looked at it for a time and the men who had been most earnest in raising it wiped the perspiration from their brows, and seemed to shrink from the task of opening that receptacle of the dead, now that it was fairly in their power to do so. Each man looked anxiously in his neighbor's face, and several audibly wondered why somebody else didn't open the coffin. "'There's no harm in it,' said one. "'If he's a vampire, we ought to know it. And if he ain't, we can't do any hurt to a dead man. Oughtn't we to have the service for the dead? said one. Yes, said the impertinent boy, who had before received a knock on the head. I think we ought to have that read, backwards. 
This ingenious idea was recompensed by a great many kicks and cuffs, which ought to have been sufficient to have warned him of the great danger of being a little before his age in wit. "'Where's the use of shirking the job?' cried he who had been so active in shoveling the mud upon the multitude. "'Why, you cowardly, sneaking set of humbugs! You're half afraid now!' "'Afraid? Afraid?' cried everybody. "'Who's afraid?' "'Ah, who's afraid?' said a little man, advancing, and assuming an heroic attitude. "'I always notice, if anybody's afraid, it's some big fellow with more bones than brains.' At this moment the man to whom this reproach was more particularly leveled raised a horrible shout of terror and cried out in frantic accents, "'He's a-coming! He's a-coming!' The little man fell at once into the grave, while the mob, with one accord, turned tail and fled in all directions, leaving him alone with the coffin. Such a fighting and kicking and scrambling ensued to get over the wall of the graveyard that this great fellow, who had caused all the mischief, burst into such peals of laughter that the majority of the people became aware that it was a joke, and came creeping back, looking as sheepish as possible. Some got up very faint sorts of laugh, and said, Very good, and swore they saw what Big Dick meant from the first, and only ran to make the others run. Very good, said Dick. I'm glad you enjoyed it, that's all. My eye, what a scampering there was among you. Where's my little friend who was so infernally cunning about bones and brains? With some difficulty the little man was extricated from the grave and then, oh, for the consistency of a mob, they all laughed at him. Those very people, who, heedless of all the amenities of existence, had been trampling upon each other and roaring with terror, actually had the impudence to laugh at him and call him a cowardly little rascal and say it served him right. But such is popularity. Well, if nobody won't open the coffin, said Big Dick, I will, so here goes. I knowed the old fellow when he was alive, and many a time he's damned me and I damn him, so I ain't a-going to be afraid of him now he's dead. We was very intimate, you see, cause we was the two heaviest men in the parish. There's a reason for everything. Ah, Dick's the fellow to do it, cried a number of persons. There's nobody like Dick for opening a coffin. He's the man as don't care for nothing. Ah, you sniveling curs, said Dick. I hate you. If it weren't for my own satisfaction, and all for to prove why my old friend the butcher has weighed seventeen stone, and stood six feet two and a half on his own soul, I'd see you all jolly well. Damned first, said the boy. Open the lid, Dick. Let's have a look. Ah, you're a rummin said Dick. After my own heart, I sometimes thinks as you must be a nevy or some sort of relation of mine. Howsomedever, here goes. Who'd thought that I should ever had a look at old fat and thunder again? That's what I used to call him. And then he used to request me to go down below, where I needn't turn around to light my blessed pipe. Hell, we know, said the boy. Why don't you open the lid, Dick? I'm a-goin', said Dick. Come up. He introduced the corner of a shovel between the lid and the coffin, and giving it a sudden wrench, 
he loosened it all down one side. A shudder pervaded the multitude, and, popularly speaking, you might have heard a pin drop in that crowded churchyard at that eventful moment. Dick then proceeded to the other side and executed the same maneuver. "'Now for it,' he said. "'We shall see him in a moment, and we'll think we seed him still.' "'What a lark!' said the boy. "'You hold your jaw, will yer? "'Who axed you for a remark, Bloyer? "'And what do you mean by squatting down there like a cock-sparrow "'with a pain in his tail, hanging your head too right over the coffin?' "'Did you never hear of what they call a fluvifium, "'coming from the dead, your ignorant beast, "'as is enough to send nobody to blazes in a minute? "'Get out of the way of the cold meat, will yer? "'Ah, uh, what do you say, Dick? "'Request information from the extreme point of my elbow.' "'Dick threw down the spade, "'and laying hold of the coffin lid with both hands, "'he lifted it off and flung it on one side.' There was a visible movement and an exclamation among the multitude. Some were pushed down in the eager desire of those behind to obtain a sight of the ghastly remains of the butcher. Those at a distance were frantic, and the excitement was momentarily increasing. They might all have spared themselves the trouble, for the coffin was empty. There was no dead butcher, nor any evidence of one ever having been there. Not even the grave clothes. The only thing in all in the receptacle of the dead was a brick. Dick's astonishment was so intense that his eyes and mouth kept opening together to such an extent that it seemed doubtful when they would reach their extreme point of elongation. He then took up the brick and looked at it curiously and turned it over and over, examined the ends and the sides with a critical eye, and at length he said, Well, I'm blowed. Here's a transmogrification. He's consolidified himself into a blessed brick. My eye, here's a curiosity. But you don't mean to say that's the butcher, Dick, said the boy. Dick reached over and gave him a tap on the head with the brick. There, he said, that's what I calls ocular demonstration. Do you believe it now, you blessed infidel? What's more natural? He was an out-and-out -out brick while he was alive, and he's turned to a brick, now he's dead. "'Give it to me, Dick,' said the boy. "'I should like to have that brick, just for the fun of the thing. "'I'll see you turned into a pantile first. "'I shan't part with this here. "'It looks too blessed sensible. "'It's gaining on me every minute as a most remarkable likeness. "'Damned if it ain't.' By this time the bewilderment of the mob had subsided. Now that there was no dead butcher to look upon, they fancied themselves most grievously injured, and, somehow or another, Dick, notwithstanding all his exertions in their service, was looked upon in the light of a showman who had promised some startling exhibition and then had disappointed his auditors. The first intimations he had of popular vengeance was a stone thrown at him, but Dick's eye happened to be upon the fellow who threw it, and collaring him in a moment, he dealt him a cuff on the side of the head which confused his faculties for a week. "'Hark ye!' he then cried with a loud voice. "'Don't interfere with me. It won't go down. There's something wrong here. 
and as one of yourselves, I'm as much interested in finding out what it is as any of you can possibly be. There seems to be some truth in this business. Our old friend, the butcher, you see, is not in his grave. Where is he, then? The mob looked at each other, and none attempted to answer the question. Why, of course, he's the vampire, said Dick and you may all of you expect to see him, in turn, come into your bedroom windows with a burst and lay holds of you like a million and a half of leeches rolled into one. There was a general expression of horror, and then Dick continued, You'd better all of you go home. I shall have no hand in pulling up any more of the coffins. This is a dose for me. Of course, you can do what you like. Pull them all up, cried a voice. Pull them all up. Let's see how many vampires there are in the churchyard. Well, it's no business of mine, said Dick, but I wouldn't if I was you. You may depend, said one, that Dick knows something about it, or he wouldn't take it so easy. Ah, down with him, said the man who had received the box on the ears. He's perhaps a vampire himself. The mob made a demonstration towards him, but Dick stood his ground, and they paused again. "'Now you're a cowardly set,' he said. "'Because you're disappointed, you want to come upon me. "'Now I'll just show what a little thing will frighten you all again, "'and I warn beforehand it will, "'so you shan't say you didn't know it and were taken by surprise.' The mob looked at him, wondering what he was going to do. "'Once! Twice! Thrice!' he said, and then he flung the brick up into the air an immense height and shouted, Heads! in a loud tone. A general dispersion of the crowd ensued, and the brick fell in the center of a very large circle indeed. There you are again, said Dick. Why, what a nice set you are. What fun, said the boy. It's a famous coffin, this, Dick. And he laid himself down in the butcher's last resting place. I never was in a coffin before. It's snug enough. Ah, you are a rummin, said Dick. You're such an inquiring genius, you is. You'll get your head into some hole one day and not be able to get it out again, and then I shall see you a-kickin'. Hush, lay still. Don't say anything. Good again, said the boy. What shall I do? Give a sort of a howl and a squeak when they all come back again. "'Won't I?' said the boy. "'A pop on the lid.' "'There you we,' said Dick. "'Damned if I don't adopt you and bring you up to the science of nothing.' "'Now listen to me, good people all,' added Dick. "'I have really got something to say to you.' At this intimation the people slowly gathered again around the grave. "'Listen,' said Dick solemnly. "'It strikes me there's some tremendous do going on.' "'Yes, there is,' said several who were foremost. "'It won't be long before you'll all of you be most damnably astonished. "'But let me beg all of you not to accuse me of having anything to do with it, "'provided I tell you all I know.' "'No, Dick, we won't. We won't. We won't.' "'Good. Then listen. I don't know anything, but I'll tell you what I think, and that's as good.' I don't think that this brick is the butcher, but I think that when you least expect it... Hush, come it a little closer. 
Yes, yes, we are closer. Well, then, I say, when you least expect it, and when you ain't dreaming of such a thing, you'll hear something of my old friend as is dead and gone that will astonish you all. Dick paused, and he gave the coffin a slight kick as intimation to the boy that he might as well be doing his part in the drama, upon which that ingenious young gentleman set up such a howl that even Dick jumped, so unearthly did it sound within the confines of that receptacle of the dead. But if the effect upon him was great, what must it have been upon those whom took it completely unaware? For a moment or two they seemed completely paralyzed, and then they frightened the boy, for the shout of terror that rose from so many throats at once was positively alarming. This jest of Dick's was final, for before three minutes had elapsed, the churchyard was clear of all human occupants save himself and the boy who had played his part so well in the coffin. Get out, said Dick. It's all right. We've done em at last, and now you may depend upon it. They won't be in a hurry to come here again. You keep your own counsel, or else somebody will serve you out for this. I don't think you're altogether averse to a bit of fun, and if you keep yourself quiet, and you'll have the satisfaction of hearing what's said about this affair in every pothouse in the village, and no mistake. End of chapter 42 Recording by Roger Moline